Barbarora. Hi, I'm Barbarora. Do you have a site with lists? Would you like to have Google consider you as best website? For so many reasons, you can tell I'm a professional. One way you can tell is that I, I try to change the toot a little bit every week. SEO, best SEO, number one SEO. Whoa. Hmm. That's exciting. Do you want to, should we start it over or keep uh, going with this? Uh, no, this is fine. Right. I'm is this fine the sure. show? Yeah, no, I'm uh, good. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. See, I, if I get in very close, I can talk like this and it's much more intimate. And you can hear all of my mouth sounds. We could do the whole show like this. KWFMFM on your FM dial. <laughs> the quiet storm. We're feeling the breath through the nostrils. Franz doll. That's my Franz. <laughs> I know, that's very, that's spot on. There's a lot of smacking noises on that program. You take it, take it <clears throat> as it, as it comes. Yep. Take the good, the, take the. I'm so I excited about this show. I, I, I texted thing. you that I'm so excited about this episode. Uh, that's good, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What What are you excited about, Dan? Just, I feel like, uh, you know, I don't know. I came back from uh, Portland with you went. You went to Zoso. I went to uh, to Zoso, which I used to. I used to write all four symbol or draw, as you say, all four symbols on my on my Converse when I was in high school. Oh, right. Along the white and the white part, which is what that was for. It was a drawing area, sketching area. So I used to sketch it out. Zoso. Zoso. Mm-hmm. Put it all down right there. No, I went to the thing and it was, it was neat. And, I, you know, you see a lot of people and you get charged up when people come up to you and, and you know, you, you're the, this is the third year I've been to this thing. Uh, really? Three years? Three My years. goodness. Yeah. And, you know, in the first year, people would come up and they, they'd say, oh, Dan, thanks for, for 5 by 5 I love it. And I'd say, well, thank you so much. What show do you listen to? Back to work, back to work, back to work, back to work. Second year. What show do you listen to? Back to work, back to work, over and over. Everyone. This year, isometrics. Really awesome. And I get, oh, I still, good. I still listen to that other one you do. It's that's so nice to hear. I know. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, still a lot of back to work fans out there. The ladies, lo- the ladies love you, Merlin. Well, it's true. It's true. Yeah. I don't know about that, but no, no it is, it's, it's really nice to hear because it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to know who listens to your show. And it's it's insane to assume someone listens to it. So, you know, if somebody could just, you know, maybe email me every time I listen to it, that would be <laughs> every, great. Every time, every week. Every time, every time. Hello. It was I a great, listen. it was a good trip. And there's so much that happened, Mer- Merlin. Yeah. So much that I just, I don't know how we're going to fit in in one show. It's going to be jam-packed. We could skip it. All right. What all did you do, Dan? You went to Zoso, and this is a this is a, a, an unconference in Portland that's held every year by two people called Andy. And, uh, and you, you apply, there's a lottery and then you go and, uh, and everybody hugs each other and cries. There was less crying on stage this year as in past years, but I mean, they had a really great lineup of speakers this year. And, uh, you you know, it, it was just, the talks were really great. They're inspirational. Uh, and, uh, and they, I mean, they, they always tap into the old school stuff too, which I really, really like. They had Justin Hall. You remember Justin Hall? Justin Hall from the old days. The links.net, uh, Justin Hall was up there. This is Justin, that uh, handsome blonde guy that's yeah. been doing blogs forever? Yeah, the naked guy. Uh, hmm. I'm, aren't we all ultimately naked, Dan? At some point. Ugh. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I met him a couple times back in the day. He's, he's a, a very interesting um, 
a peculiar, interesting guy. Yeah. He's got a lot of, a lot of balls in the air. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he was there. He was there when it all started. He did lots of uh, bloggy stuff before people knew what to call it. Yeah. And tell me more. Well, they had uh, him. They had, uh, of course, Gina Trapani was up there. John Gruber did his thing. The Song of Day Man was up there singing. They had some very uh, controversial uh, things with the the lovely woman that does a uh, feminine frequency talking about all the sort of harassment and that's so bravery cool. for I didn't her know to she's going to be there. She that's was awesome. there. So yeah. much, so much great stuff. I mean, there was really, really. I mean, I'm leaving a lot of things out. Sorry, but it was you know it was great and seeing people's always a lot of fun and, uh, and so yeah that was fun. And I of course the I should say the highlight for me was actually happened outside of the conference. <laughs> uh, which was um, meeting John Roderick and having wow. lunch with with him and his wonderful family. Oh wow! I, I didn't hear about that. Oh, you didn't hear about that? Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Well, tell the story. Uh, well, you know, uh, John Roderick was performing. He did his he did a, his one man show with a guest, and then he did some singing and, and other wonderful things. And you know, I'd been tweeting him uh, like, "Man, if you know you're going to be there, I'm going to be there. Let's meet." And he said, "Oh, I would love to meet." So it worked out that, you know, he had a, a lunchtime open before he was going out of town because uh, he was driving back up to Seattle. And he said, let's let's go. My family's joining me. Let's let's go have a summit. So we did. And uh, we ate at Lardo, which is a great place. Highly recommend it in, uh, in downtown uh, Portland. They do great uh, sandwiches, things like that. Wonderful, That's- wonderful to meet him. He's... Uh, I don't. I don't know. There's not really words for that. Like, how do you describe? It's because it's going to force you to break with your <laughs> with your previous tradition of acting like you've uh, are unfamiliar with anything else that I've ever done. I'm well. I'm not that familiar with. You should with be your... familiar with the Long Winners. They're a really good band. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. That's John's band that he's in. Yeah, he's in a band, and uh, it was just wonderful. Uh, wonderful to meet him. I'm still, you know, I'm still boning up on mm-hmm. a lot of the back catalog. But, uh, you know, no, I'm, I am, I'm, I've become familiar that what really turned me on to the show, what really opened it, opened the door for me to be able to listen was when you called him Dan. And that made me feel like I was in, in, finally included in something uh, that you do. And uh, then I started listening. Well, that's nice, Dan. That's, that's really peculiar. Yeah. Huh. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And he had the, he had the, uh, the, the splint on, on his uh, finger. The official medical splint. Yeah, the the one he bought, not it wasn't the chopsticks the one. He made out of chopsticks yeah. and band aids. <laughs> and he's such a he's such a and and it's funny because when you meet him, he's this incredibly warm, lovable person, and then to see him in that story, yet it still clicks. It all clicks. It all makes sense. Yeah, I love he's it. like it's it like peeling great. a it's like peeling a dangerous onion. <laughs> And you cry I mean, and cry. Yeah, no, he's it was it was a joyful time. It was a wonderful time. His family's wonderful, and he's uh, it was so so great. That was That's, the highlight for me. I mean, sorry, sorry, Andy's, but for me, the highlight was hanging out with John Roderick at lunch. Well, that's the special thing about a, a conference like that, or any kind of get together like that. Is it's uh, I mean, you know, I, I've been doing stuff of one kind or another on the internet for over 20 years now and it's it's never stopped amazing me how great it is to actually meet the people that you know online Seriously. because you really don't know what you're going to get i mean I, there's i remember like especially back in the live journal days uh i would meet people who i, I could never in a million years if, if I, having met them while having been very familiar with stuff they'd written for a couple of years. I never could have put those two people together. Right. You know, it's always strange how like some of the most, you know, like over the top, 
you know, very uh, demonstrative, uh, dramatic people are like extremely quiet in real life sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's kind of a, a, a typical blogger kind of trope. But it's really nice. I, there, on the episode of Roderick that we recorded this week for, for next week, we are talking about how, how it feels like a mixed blessing when people say, you were so much nicer than I expected. <laughs> right? Like, what is that? What yeah. is that supposed to mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's the word. You know, or, or oh, I, what I usually hear is, I imagined you a little bit taller or a lot taller. That's the main comment. I get people that. Make, I get know. that. Yeah, us little guys got to stick together. Yeah, we do. And that photograph, which you should put into the show notes, uh, <laughs> John is honestly, when you hear that phrase sometimes, he was all full head taller than the other guy. Yeah. These- <laughs> John, first of all, John has a huge head. John, John has an improbably large head, and he's more than a head taller than you. He could take take his head off and still be taller than you. Yeah, when my uh, my 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 uh, almost seven year old son is is tall for his age and big for his age, and it it's very the picture of me with John is reminiscent of a picture of my son with me relative <laughs> to the sizes. Yeah, so uh, but I expected really that. Cool. That was one thing I did expect and was not disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah that was that was a lot of fun and uh and I highly recommend if if you are lucky enough to win the lottery of of XOXO to to go to that or just go out you know who you know who showed up you know who rolled up who Dave Pell Dave Pell the uh, internet rock star Yeah the rock star he he texted he was me- uh, messaging me on the computer uh a, a week or two in advance of the thing and he's like what what is XOXO? And I told him, he's like, I won the lottery and I'm I have a ticket. I'm like, well, go. He's like, I, should I go? And I said, Yeah, you should definitely go. He was very apprehensive about going. Uh, but he went and he seemed even he seemed to have a great time. And he's Dave is Dave's a very learned man. I'm kind yeah, of surprised that yeah. he hadn't heard of that. I know. I apologize for the car alarm outside. I like all of this stuff with your new mic. You're, we're picking I don't know up if this of mic is gonna work out. This is a very <laughs> Listen, let's just give it a minute here. Yeah, just, let's, let's hear let's it. Let's for just a minute. <laughs> it sounds like an import. I think oh, probably yeah. <laughs> a not particularly late model uh, Japanese car. Yes. And something rumbled near it. Oh, oh by the way, you know what else I did with this mic? I gave my man a mute. Ma- really? I, I made a mute. You ready? ready? Uh, 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 isn't that cool? Is that a software no. mute? I made a software mute. I'm using uh, the mute, mute my mic. My car alarm's just going to keep going, isn't it? Doesn't bother me. Should we just power through it? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> it's great. It's progress. Uh, yeah, I, I really like this mic, but I think I think I might need to. Uh, I mean, might need to try the sure. I will. I'll, yeah, let's get you back on the sure. So here's on the, the sure. Here, here's the thing. I'm, 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 at, the, I'm at the. I'm at the. I'm at the event. I'm walking around. Uh, oh, you're going to be muting actively while. I think it's stopped now. Okay, so I can I would, still hear you. Go ahead. Okay, over. people would people would go and and they'd come up and they'd say, you know, and back to work mentioned a lot and uh, and a lot of people came up to me and I want to relay this to you because although I think we hear it in the emails from time to time, it's it's different when the person's there and they're talking to you and they're shaking your hand and they're saying thank you. So many people, Merlin, came up and said it's because of back to work that I, you know, made this hard decision in my life and it's turned out really well for me. I mean, I hear that over and over again to the point where it, at first I thought people were really just being in, in nice for no special reason, just saying that, but it, there really is this trend. 
this is a show about helping people, Merlin. I want you to really feel that. And so that was the number one thing people said to me that it's hard to believe that we're doing something that's really helping people in it. In it. We joke about it, but I think it, I think it really helps people. You help a lot of people, Merlin. That's the first thing you should know. The second thing is the second comment I get is then after they say that and we talk for a minute, they sort of, you know, scratch their beard a little bit and they say, uh, not the women and they say, Marilyn doesn't really, he doesn't really come to these kind of things. He should come to them. He doesn't really come out for this. And I said, no, he doesn't. Mm. He really doesn't. Which, but, should, I take, should I take the first question first? Go ahead, caller. Uh, thank you, uh, first time Marilyner. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, I mean, I feel like a dumbass taking anything resembling credit for that. But it's... Uh, you shouldn't the, feel that way. You should not feel that way. You should. Okay, it, people love you. Okay, I'll stop. Uh, I uh, uh, given the nominally self help nature of the show, it's it's never not nice to hear that. Uh, and I, I you get that in emails and stuff. And you know, uh, why talk about it? Because who cares? But it, it really makes me feel great every time. Partly because like it's, it means that we've done something right periodically. But also, it's just it's nice to know that one one thing I believe. Maybe erroneously, but one thing I believe is that, you know, we, each of us have something in us that is sometimes hard to access. And sometimes it really requires hearing somebody say something. Or the way I really think of it is sometimes something can be really obvious and it just needs to be reframed in a certain way. And I know that sometimes seems obscure and abstruse, but like it's when it works out and the right message connects on the right day after hearing it 15 times. Yeah. That's, uh, really gratifying. So I'm very grateful that people would say that. And I'm very happy that it actually uh, works out that way. As far as why I don't go to these things, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, and actually we did talk about this also a little bit on, on Roderick, but like I, it's, I like going to things, but it's, it's the most boring reasons in the world. It's expensive and it's disruptive is the problem. Mm-hmm. Like when it's stuff in town, it's easy enough to zip over. It's just that, uh, I don't know. I don't understand how, I, I'm still kind of trying to figure out how to have a family. Uh, it's something I, I haven't mastered. There's elements of it that I think I get right, you know, on a certain day. But there's that analogy of, you know, like the guy on Ed Sullivan who comes out and spins plates. And you come out and you get a plate spin. And wow, that's pretty cool. That guy knows how to make a plate spin on a stick. You don't see that every day. And then, uh, against all odds, he, he manages to get another plate spinning. Now he's got two plates spinning, and you go, wow, that, this guy really is good as regards spinning plates. And then by the end of the act, he's got six or eight plates spinning. And uh, that seems really amazing. But, you know, the whole the reason that analogy is, is so poignant to me is that, like, first of all, you got to keep running from plate to plate to keep those spinning. And second of all, it's hard to do anything else while you're trying to make plates spin. So I... I don't know. I, uh, you know, my wife works and it's just, it's hard to do. It's really, like I said, very it's hard. Boring, it's a, it's a boring reason. But no, like, but I it's, was, it's a very, and uh, there's another thing that I want to add to this is that I have seen, I have, and this is something that I, I don't want you to take this in a weird way, but okay. I, when, whenever we have been somewhere in an event or something, you are absolutely, and I know you would never say this yourself, you are absolutely swarmed by people. And I know, mm. I know from being swarmed by about one-tenth as many people as will swarm you, it's exhausting. It's absolutely fun and thrilling, but it's also really exhausting. And it, 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 I hope nobody in the audience interprets me as saying, don't do that because there's nothing more fun than talking to people who like, wow, 
they listen to this thing that I made and they like it. Like that's the best feeling in the world. So please come say hi. But like you do that after a few days of doing that, it's, it's like, oh my gosh, like that's just a lot on top of the spinning of the plates. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do. But, you know, I at the risk of sounding nicer than I actually am, I really, <laughs> I really like that. Um, and I, I'm fortunate that, like, there, if there's stuff, if there's people out there who know what I do, like, I'm utterly aware of what a incredibly small yeah. percentage of the world America, let alone the world, like, you know, how, what a small number of people that actually is. That doesn't change the fact that it means the world to me. And, but, you know, I, I, I feel bad for people. Like, but it's like, I have no problem going pretty much anywhere in the world. And I don't have a mobbing problem when I walk around in the world. <laughs> I, well, and I can, I can, I can, I can completely stand being around people who want to come up and give me compliments for a couple of days. I am, I'm a small enough <laughs> you man. You can put yourself through it. I, you know what? I'm 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 really I like I think of myself as a very courageous person. And if people want to if people want to come up and take their picture with me yeah. and say they like what I do, I think I can probably find the time yeah, to do that. Yeah. And and cuz I really and it's 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 really awesome. I just don't know. I don't know how people like you know, actual celebrities, pe- people in the true sense of the word, people, you know, who you know from cable TV, like I don't know how they do it. Seriously, you know? yeah. That's that's the thing, but um so I mean no I I really I really I really enjoy it and so that's that's no problem at all and like I was in but like okay so and here just not that this matters but for example I just while you were there I was in um, Waltham 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 yes. anyway I was doing a talk near Boston and uh, to a bunch of people who work at a well-known tech company. And people from the area who would want to come out to see people like Michael Lopp and, you know, Andy and Nutco and people come and do a talk. And I, I just have to tell you that my not, several of my not very subtle references to back to, <laughs> back to work and Roderick on the line, crickets, crickets, crickets. There's, I, it, that's the, the, the problem is if you start actually believing your own press releases, oh, yeah. you're mega screwed. Because nobody actually has any idea what you do. They may be, with some prompting, able to to <laughs> summon up something they heard about you once. But anyway, that's a super interesting conversation. But I'm I'm really grateful, um, and I I don't know. It's nice to hear from people that something worked out for them, even if it's not something as big as like I went and started a company. It could just be that like there was this dumb thing that I finally realized was a dumb thing, and like that's a big win. Yeah, it is. This is not helping people with this conversation <clears throat> right now. This. You're just buttering me up. Are you going to fire me? Is that what it is? I don't know. I hope you don't fire me. Is this is this an IDG type situation? <laughs> I don't feel. I don't. Oh my god. Oh my god. That was uh, that was depressing. Yeah, it was. Um, not it's not the kind of thing that you um, couldn't have kind of expected, but it did seem kind of massive. Funny part is, I was sitting there and listening to uh, the MacWorld podcast with Chris Breen and Serenity Caldwell. I was listening to that. When I started, when I saw Jason Snell's post, mm-hmm. which I think kind of set off the firestorm of people being aware about all these layoffs at MacWorld and TechHive and GreenBot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But so many people and so many people that are in our sphere of influence, you know, people we follow and people who we uh, we communicate with on a regular basis, all of a sudden, like their lives have been significantly changed with with this 
you know, going away. It's, it's really, I think it's, and, and the timing of it, the day after the Apple thing, it was just very surprising. Yeah, you know, Chris, uh, in as much as he could, as somebody who's still working at IDG, tried to address that on this week's, this week's Macworld podcast, which I was listening to right before we started, and saying that, you know, this is something that comes from the top down, and it's the kind of thing that was in motion, certainly, for months, in some form or fashion, before it went down. So I, I, I buy what he says in that, like, it was probably wasn't like a, a bunch of white guys were twirling their mustache and figuring out how to mega screw people after a wonderful day of event coverage. Right. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know what, what it really, well, two things. I mean, it, you know, first of all, it would be one thing if like Vogue magazine went away. It would be one thing if Time magazine went away. Like things that you think of as institutions, that you think of as like canonical examples of what a magazine is. It's, it's yet another thing when it's something like Macworld. Like I remember when Mac Week went away. And, yeah, yeah, uh, right. and it was, or not Mac week, Mac week was the more like the tabloid, not, you know, tabloid format, but Mac user, Mac user. When, I think Mac user like merged with Mac world. Yeah. But, but even back then that seems so bananas. Oh my God. There's only one monthly major Mac publication. Like how crazy is that? But for it to be Mac world, which, you know, the first issue of Mac world is, is st- still such a wonderful time capsule to go back and look at that you know, see the, you can go out and find some screenshots and stuff of that first issue. And just the, the ebullience, all the excitement about this new thing that people had been anticipating. Um, but, you know, uh, just because I'm great at making it all about me, people like Jason, um, Serenity, uh, Dan's, Morin and Frakes, um, you know, Philip Michaels. These are people that I... I mean, I've known Jason for a while. I've known Dan for a while. I've known Serenity for a little while. But like now all those people are like some of my favorite podcasters. Like they're all like regulars on The Incomparable about which I happen to be completely obsessed. I love that show. So it feels extra super personal when all that happens at once. But finally, I think the thing that it reminds me of and probably should remind us all of is how delicate all of these ecosystems really are. That even as Apple has a week where they sell 4 million iPhones, on these pre-orders for these new uh, bulbous iPhones. Uh, even as that's happening, even as they're racking up those huge numbers, even as they're like up there with Exxon as like this, you know, highly valued cash on hand company, that, you know, th- at the same time, there's the, the magazine industry is really in dire straits. People are not buying them. I mean, I don't, I haven't, I haven't subscribed to Macworld in a long time. I haven't, I bought Macworld when I had an article in it, but like, I don't, I'm not going to spend $7 on something that most, blogs and the site itself have already covered. That's the problem, right? That's that's kind of the joke, like with John Oliver's show. It's called, you know, what is it called? Like last week tonight, a joke on the fact that like by the time you can put together a weekly anything or a monthly anything, you're talking about stuff that just happened rather than standing on top of it while it's happening. Yeah. And, you know, those are very disconnected things. This one, as this one industry ascends, this other industry is really trying to keep it together. And I guess, so then the irony of that is, and Oh, I forget who said this. Somebody, maybe last name, Seth, somebody who'd worked at IDG, says, you know, hey, you know, you guys are right. The uh, magazine industry is going down, but be aware that uh, the majority of work those people were doing at IDG was for, you know, web properties, for podcasts, for things like that. So it wasn't like they just sat around all day wearing their, their you know, fedora with the press card in it and, and waiting to go to press. Like they were out there pumping all the time. And you see this all the time. I like with all of our, like uh, our weird SF gate site, the, the Chronicle site 
here in town, like you see how like everybody who used who used to think of as a writer or a columnist is now kind of a blogger who happens to have something appear in the paper every few days. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a big change that we're still, you know, I think it's going to take a long time to get used to that, but it's never going to stop seeming weird when something that was always there for us, you know, in, in terms of internet years, my gosh, you know, Macworld's a, a Mandarin. It's been yes. there before the internet. So before the internet was around for most of us. So it's it's really jarring and it's really painful. Uh, one thing I'll find for show notes, maybe while you tell me about something you like, is uh, Chris Breen wrote a really nice blog post. I sat there at a hotel bar eating a steak and practically crying because he is called his, like, I think he called it letter of recommendation. And it was basically, it was, it was on the face of it meant to be like, hey, here's the names of a whole bunch of writers and like why I think you should hire them. But it ended up being a tribute, like almost like an obituary, an obituary for this group of people having worked all in the same place and collaborated, you know, and uh, I'll put that in notes, but it was, it was lovely and a nice way to kind of send off uh, some extremely talented people. So um, did you want to tell me about something you like while I go look for that? I would like to tell you about it. It's something you know a little bit about. Uh, it uh, it's our first sponsor of the day, and uh, it's Casper. We've been huh? waiting. We've been waiting to do this spot <laughs> yes. for a while. They, the mattress the, that the, the mattress that cannot be named. The mattress that cannot be named is being named. And here's the way that uh, that this worked. They came to us and they said we want to sponsor some shows, and we're you know we're spacing things out. But before we do it, we want you guys to uh, to enjoy. Uh, the, the, the mattress experience so you can talk about it and, and, and really have experienced it for yourself. So I have this nice, uh, this nice script to read, but instead of reading uh, the script, uh, which I'll, I'll tell you about some of it, but Dan, are you, are you going off script? I'm going off script to tell you about my personal experience with the Casper mattress. Now I was one of those people who kind of came into this with a lot of skepticism because I have what I guess you would call an old-fashioned bed, a bed that has like, you know, box springs and a It's a called thing. A, uh, a legacy mattress. A legacy mattress. And we spent quite a bit of money for this thing. And I was a little, you know, well, I think the, you know, if, if, they're, if they're sending you a mattress in a box, a rolled up box, like there's no way that this could be any good. But I, you know what? I'll try it. It's awesome. Like these mattresses are really, really good. And uh, I was, you know, I know there's some kind of, you know, they do the, um, it's not, it's not memory foam in the conventional sense because it's, it combines like premium latex foam with memory foam in it. It's a hybrid. And, you know, I'd read about it, but you lay on this thing. And this thing is like amazing. So I actually had them send us one and we have it here at the, at the office. And we, uh, you know, when someone gets a little tired, they can go and they can lay down. If they need to lay down, they can lay down. <laughs> you should report yourself to HR. <laughs> I know. And, uh, and so they can go lay down and, and sleep on the mattress. So we've all, you know, we've all tried, uh, taking turns trying out the mattress here. And it is, it is amazing. And I'm going to be probably carting this thing back. But the coolest part of it, and I, I don't know if this is, you know, if they want me to, to talk about this, but it's so cool the way this thing ships to you. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> can I jump in just for a second? Go ahead, Colin. I mean, I'm going to get jump ahead of myself a little bit here and say, while we're talking about this, if, if you're near your computer web browser, go to caspersleep.com. Uh, Slash um, back to work. You know what I would say? I would say while we're sitting here uh, talking about this, go to caspersleep.com <laughs> slash back to work, which is uh, you put that in your favorite bar. Your 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 Uber bar. 
And because uh, you can go and lift and they have, bar, they have a great <laughs> sidecar bar. They have a great. Um, it's not funny. They have they have a terrific site that'll t- explain to you what you need to understand before anything. And, and I say this with all due respect to the mattress industry. The mattress industry is a racket. It's a racket. When you go out there and you try and buy a mattress, it is a total pain. You got to drive out somewhere crazy. You got to go to the you know mattress headquarters, sleep place, you know snoozy acres. <laughs> you go there. And some guy with coffee breath and a cheap tie is trying to convince you of the difference between these, these incredibly small differences between these 45 different mattresses. And to prove it to you, you lay on it in a, in a shop that probably lots of people have laid on. Their filthy kids got lollipop fingers all over Ugh. it. And you're supposed to lay there and figure out if you're going to spend you know $2,000 on a mattress. So it's not fun to buy these things. And they, I think they make this, I want to talk about the quality of this, but I just want to talk about, once we get to the quality, understand how easy it is to get this thing and deal with it and just get it in your house and have it as a bed that you use in like under 15 minutes. It's crazy. It's crazy. Because, uh, you know, I, there's, this is the kind of thing that I resist doing. I resist spending a Saturday uh, going to somnambulant house house of mattress place. I That's a terrible name for a business. I would not, I would, that's no LLC I would have. <laughs> but it, it's, it, they just make this whole process so simple. The prices are great and the, the quality is amazing. So go to caspersleep.com slash back to work. Tell me about, tell me about your, your sleeping, Dan. Oh, yeah. So this is, this is the thing is that th- this thing, I, as you know, we've talked about many times, um, I prefer to sleep in the, you know, the safety and security of my own home. Uh, I, I've never uh, in my life be, fallen asleep. Unless the, for me, falling asleep is an intentional act. I've never sort of just fallen asleep like kids would fall asleep at their desk or they would just get comfortable at a friend's house and fall asleep on their sofa or they sleep on an airplane or a train or a bus. Or I've that never has that happened for me. Uh, and I you know, we had it before we set up this, this the video studio room. We had it in there and I shut the blinds and I laid down and I had. A, a short nap on it. That's how comfortable this thing is. Like that's outside of my uh, wheelhouse to do something like that, but it actually works. And so they want me to talk about pricing on this. Uh, so here's the thing. These mattresses cost between 500 bucks for a twin, uh, 850 for queen size, 950 for a king size mattress. If you've ever priced like a grown up mattress, these things start at 1500 and go up from there. For just a decent mattress, and this thing is amazing, and uh, and and so people should you should really and and so people would say, what if I don't like it? It is risk free. You can you get this thing, you have it, you get it for a hundred days to decide if you like it. Free delivery and uh, a painless. You think that's returns. really enough time, Dan? A hundred days, I think, is enough time. Uh, they're 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 definitely because that's how confident Casper is that you're going to like it. And I love this thing. Uh, and, and so the next, like, mattress that we get for our home is going to be one of these. Uh, anyway, uh, go check this out. Uh, they're doing a special thing uh, for the month of September also. Um, if, if you go, so you're going to get, if you go to caspersleep.com slash back to work, you're going to get 50 bucks toward any mattress. If you go there and the, the code you're going to use is comics, comics. But... Uh, they have this awesome referral program for everybody that you refer. They are going to give you a $50 gift card plus any friend you refer. They are also going to get a $50 uh, toward the Casper mattress. So they're doing the same thing for us 
But we're donating our $50 gift cards that all you guys uh, sign up with uh, to uh, Merlin's pick, the Hero Initiative. They, they came to us and they said, and I want to talk about how I like this mattress because I'd like this to be literally the longest read we've ever done on the show. <laughs> but it's but, good. Um, it's a good thing. We, we've talked about sleep a lot. I think it fits with the show. Yeah, well, it, it does. And but this was really nice because they came to us and said, "Hey, pick a pick a charity, and we'll uh, give uh, give some money for each one of these that sells." Yeah, and we picked a. I think we. I mean, I I picked it. I don't know if you like it. No, I love but, it. Here initiative. Yeah. Tell them about it. You know what it is? Yeah. Well, you, you can probably talk more about it because I didn't. I learned about it uh, through you. But it's the if you go to heroinitiative.com, uh, that is that is it's something that's so interesting because we often talk. Uh, about the way that people can, you know, can affect other people's lives on this show. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that comic creators, I would say I tweeted about this a while ago. Like you imagine that people who make comics and bring so much joy and entertainment are these like super wealthy uh, people uh, and they're, they're living this amazing life of like jet setting to comic cons, but they, they're struggling typically. And, Even uh, somebody who's succeeding. I mean, if, if you're, I, I bet, I bet Brian Michael Bendis uh, is, is probably doing okay. Yeah. Cause he's got, he's got a lot of bases covered. He's got a, the guy's a machine. But I mean, even people that comics we talk about every, every week or month or whatever is that, um, is that, is the people, it is really hard work. I think they actually still maybe get paid by the page. Like, I don't know how it works, but yeah. it's pretty old school. There's a, there's like a, a ridiculous amount of work involved. And, you know, let's, let's just say it. Um, the, the people who, uh, at least initially when things like, like when Guardians of the Galaxy came out, this is really long and I'm sorry, but like the people who make those characters, they don't own them. If you're if you made a Marvel character, you made a DC character. You don't own that character. You don't see a nickel out of that. You see what you got as work for hire for making that. So anyway, what what this what Hero Initiative does is helps out, uh, especially with things like the medical bills of people, uh, comics, comic artists and writers and comic people that we love. So that's why we picked that charity. Uh, so you can help with that. But you know, we got one of these things, and it's so fun. This is a really smart company. This thing arose. My daughter was so excited when she knew this thing was coming because I told her how it sighs when you open it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes an exhaling noise. <laughs> yeah. You take it out, it arrives. It's a waste. I can tell you because I saw it on the UPS site. Uh, it was 62 pounds was this box, which I thought there's no way. That <laughs> right, how's that a weight. mattress? That's, that's, that's not a mattress. That's, that's half a mattress. Maybe the rest will come later. But uh, we op- you open it up, you take it out and it comes with an old school plastic letter opener like your grandpa would have, you know, one of those little like little plastic, has a tiny little blade in it. You open it and it goes... <sighs> When it comes out of its bag, it turns into a mattress. So here, here's how we are. We've got a, a foam mattress that we've liked for about six or seven years. And uh, I was so lazy. I just put this one on top of that so that our, we now have like a princess in the pea type situation. <laughs> so you have a stack, a full stack of mattresses now. I think just going forward, every time we get a new, new mattress, <laughs> we're just going to put it on top of the old one. But we tried that and we haven't changed it since it arrived like two weeks ago. And I love it. I, I, I really like this it's thing. It's like I a mean, Victorian hotel or something. <laughs> uh, Latex mattress, m'lady. <laughs> so and, thank, you very, uh, thank you very much to caspersleep.com. Our thanks to caspersleep.com for supporting 5 by 5 and Back to Work with Dan Benjamin. More than man. Mm-hmm. But you know, flying is the, other, is the other thing that gets you. Yeah. I lucked out on this one. What happened uh, to you? Well, pfft. Virgin America, boom. 
I have never was, flown that airline. What? Are you kidding me? They don't have a lot of, uh, they don't go to a lot of places from Austin. My goodness me. Uh, it's, it's the best. I mean, you know, it's a company. They got planes. But like, they're so much better than other places. Uh, yeah, it's very comfortable. What makes them, okay, so like right here, I'm on, I'm on the site now. From Austin, they only go to uh, Vegas, LA, Portland, San Diego, San Francisco, and Seattle. I think um, they just changed their big Dallas airport, but they have a uh, an outpost in Dallas, Fort Worth. Is, is Love Field a thing? Yes. I think that might be where they go. I think GXPX 1138 is, uh, is bummed that they moved from DFW to Love Field. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, uh, why? Uh, oh boy, just a million reasons. The, um, just the, the overall experience is great. I, I, I can't, I haven't like pulled out a tape measure and calculated this, but even in their standard steerage, you get, you get a nicer chair and you get more leg room than, I mean, certainly better than United. No offense, except offense. Uh, well, it's the worst. United, USA are those kinds of uh, the worst. But uh, they're, they're very comfortable. They're clean. And, uh, and you, get, uh, you get that little monitor, like with JetBlue, but you can like order drinks from it. You can, you can play games. It's, I don't know what it is. It's hard to describe. And it's, it's, it's a little hip. You know, for example, like the cabin lighting is these like purple and blue lights that make it feel like an Italian disco. And, uh, but it's, 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 it's really is a better experience. It's very difficult to work in airlines today. I do know that. As an employee, you mean? Yeah, I met somebody at a kid's birthday party the other day, a couple. And uh, the guy, a uh, guy probably in his late 60s, he's still a pilot for, I forget which, maybe American. And his wife uh, had, for her career, been a, uh, an, att- an airline attendant. Is that, what we said? Is that what you call it now? Yeah, flight attendant. Flight attendant, yeah. Yeah. And uh, boy, it just sounds brutal. It sounds like it's, it's, according to her, it's just very difficult to make a living wage as a uh, flight attendant nowadays. It sounds rough. But no, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's, um, it's flying is, has become not just inconvenient and gross, but it, it really feels like a crapshoot. I mean, honestly, the, the, part, the part that makes it most risky for me, it, it isn't simply that it's very difficult to find, you know, like direct flights that are affordable for you or your host in, in, in my case, but also that like, once you do it, like stuff just blows up all the time. Mm-hmm. Like stuff gets rescheduled, you know, again, Roderick had a, had an epic rant about trying to find a connecting flight yeah. at an airport. I don't know if you ever heard that, but <laughs> yeah. like how hard it is to find the person with the juice who likes you enough to help you find another flight. It just really feels like you're on your own. So I'm sitting there with this, this whole collection of different apps Oh, as fallback, just in case something happens, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, it, it does happen. It's They need to get as many people on those planes as they can. And, you know, it's... They're, they're, I remember, it seems like even not that long ago, maybe when I had my dot-com job, maybe 15 years ago, you would still have those situations where United would go, well, you know, this, this uh, plane needs work. We can't help you, but we'll put you on this American flight and pay for that. Mm-hmm. And you can take... That I don't think that happens nearly as much as it used to, and 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 just even the whole very idea of like finding out that your flight is borked, it's really on you, and then you just have to run around the airport, you know. Yeah, I, it really it's it's tough, and I usually out of out of Austin, uh, American Airlines is the is the big one that offers pretty much the most flights to everywhere. Most of them go through Dallas Fort Worth in order to get where you want to go. There are some directs, but you know there you. 
whenever I watch those things online that say like how to get elite status on such and such, they, you know, there is with certain airlines, you really do get rewarded for loyalty as far as like points and upgrades and things that you can turn into reducing your costs or boarding earlier or whatever. And it's one of, at the same time that that industry is just completely confusing to me and, and the way that it's run and how it works there, there is actually a reward system in place if you fly enough and if you stick with one airline. But from here, Austin, to, for example, New York, I would really rather not fly to Dallas and spend an hour or two in Dallas and then fly to New York when it's three hours, you know. But what airline is going to have a direct flight? Well, it's not American. It, or if it is, it's incredibly expensive. JetBlue is going to be like a third of the price, right? Well, so, I like JetBlue. Yeah, I like JetBlue too. And that's um, whenever I go to New York or San Francisco, they have these direct flights that are at really good times. And it winds up being like 300 bucks round trip per person, which is, you know, for flying, that's very affordable. And, you know, but it's, it's just such – I just don't understand it. I don't understand how it works. But I've learned and I was talking to uh, to my brother-in-law who was planning a trip and he flies once every three years, you know. Um, and I was like – he was like, Dan, can you help me pick a flight? And I'm like, well, yeah, I can definitely help you. And I'm like, oh, you want to pick this one? He's like, well, why not? That one's earlier in the morning. I'm like, right. But you're going to go through DF, DFW instead of ORD. You don't want to go through ORD at this time of day. And I'm like, why do I know this? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like all of this, uh, it, it's, it's such a, uh, a, a strange system that they have. And people are so unhappy. I still remember my first flights when I was a kid of flying and I know, you know, they treat you special when you're, when you're a kid, but I just, I remember how it flying, maybe it would, there were unpleasant aspects to it, but they made it such a nice, they tried to make it such a nice thing. And now you really feel like they're almost sort of standing behind you with a cattle prod, just like get on there, you know, and, uh, it, it's changed so much and it's, it's, it's tough. It's a really, it's the worst part of travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, um, kind of similar to our discussion of, you know, the magazine industry, that, that's an industry that has changed so much and the conditions about, you know, how people use all that stuff have changed so much. There's so, there's so much to how we work nowadays that precludes the need for constant air travel. I mean, you know, if you're in sales, there was a time when if you were in sales, you just had to be flying all the time because, you know, that's how you had the human touch when you, when you work with people. But, you know, if you think about all the cost that goes into having to be away from your job just to go and take this flight, go somewhere, lose a day. I mean, because really you lose a day with travel unless you need less sleep than I do. I think of every travel day as like not a lost day because you can do stuff, but it's it's difficult to do much when you're traveling. So you lose a day for the travel. You get there. You deal with this one person. You get back on a plane. You, you lose another day of travel. That's very costly just in terms of your time. If you're somebody who's like like a big shot or whatever, so I guess if you know if you're in first class and you can really spread out and do lots of work, that's good. But there's still only so much you can do, and you're you know out of pocket. Um, so you know I think there are a lot of technologies, maybe starting with email, but things that have made it so that we can still be connected with people. And if you're doing that kind of work, you don't have to be in the same room with somebody to have a meeting anymore. But you know, and then there's all again all these other factors that change the price of fuel. The the I don't know if this is true, but I. I'm probably repeating myself here, but I, I heard a long time ago that when JetBlue got started, one of the 
biggest contributors to their success in getting started, in addition to great, great eye for design and customer service and you know, trying to do all that stuff right, they also had basically bought fuel futures really cheap. Interesting. I don't know if this is true, but supposedly the whole thing is that the people behind Virgin America had basically, what would that be? Bought long, short, whatever it was, they bought fuel futures when they were really cheap. So for something like the first couple of years, they could afford to give you like some of the offers I've got, like an $800 round trip first class to JFK. Unheard of stuff, that which would be like three, four thousand dollars today. Yeah, yeah. And so people did that and they loved it. And but now, you know, but I, again, I think JetBlue's smart about that. They're, they've got a revenue stream because you can sit there, you can order, you order drinks right off the screen. Uh, they bring it to you. You can eight bucks. You can watch a movie of your choice. You know the kind of things where you wouldn't mind paying for that. You know, uh, so eh, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's pretty miserable, and but it's a. I, I think it's going to get a lot worse before. It How gets can better. it get? Yeah, if, if it gets better. I mean, it's. Are you, have you have you seen the designs for seats that they've thought about? No. Well, imagine a bus stop where the seat just kind of flips down on a little axis yeah. so you can't lay on it like a hobo. Imagine like a bike seat that flips down. So basically, they're supposedly they're thinking of ways to fit even more people in Are you and serious? have less weight. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm sure for things like computer, commuter flights, they could maybe get away with that where it's the equivalent of a long bus ride. But yeah. Oh my gosh. Hub and spoke, man. It's dead. Dead in the water. Guess. We're helping yeah. a lot of people today, Dan. Yeah, we are. Well, you know, I have lots of life hacks uh, for flying, if anyone ever wants to, to know that. Lots and lots and lots of them. And packing, we've talked about that a little, but I've got that. Down. I've got this down to, I could be packed for a trip, I think 18 minutes for, for a week-long trip. It's crazy. I've got it all figured out. Everything, everything. No more lists. I don't need hmm. lists. We could talk about that. Can I, can I mention just one thing? Yes, caller. Um, I wanted to say thank you, uh, to my host, which is this wonderful guy named Sean Hussey, who brought me out, who people will know from the internet. He's a developer at that company that brought me out there. He brought me out and he was wonderful. That whole company, Constant Contact, uh, was very, very good to me. But, you know, I got to meet lots of people, uh, old friends, new friends, but you know, it's kind of cool. You know, who was in the, uh, in the first row of my talk? Who? John Syracuse. Oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. You've hung out with him once or twice before, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't know from pressure until you got John Syracuse in your audience. Forget about it. Yeah, I was was double, triple thinking everything. He got some of the jokes. He gets all the references. That guy's good. But anyway, I just, because I talked about it before, and you know, actually a lot of the stuff we've talked about on the show in the last maybe three, four weeks is around the ideas that I talked about uh, in my crazy manic talk, things about curiosity and expertise and things like that. So I just want to say thanks, and thanks to Boston. It's a heck of a town. And, and I got a ride from uh, from uh, from Waltham to Cambridge with no, with none other than Andy Notko. That is so cool. Yep, talked about Bob's Burgers for like an hour. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 a big fan of that show. Oh, brother, so am I. There was no lapse. I mean, we were. I'm very happy to talk to Andy about Bob's Burgers anytime. Uh, we could talk about travel. Is uh, I didn't look at the dingus. Is there anything else you'd like to tell me about that two, you like? Two more things. The next one is one that uh, that we've told folks about before, and I'm telling them about it again. It's Linda, which is really one of my favorite sites. I've I've actually started spending a lot more time on Linda because it's so easy for me to kind of lose track of the stuff that's going on. And you know, I'm one of those people that I'm now. Uh, I'm content to not do 
a lot of the uh, a lot of the technical stuff. I, I know there's people who are who are better than me uh, at doing the technical stuff. For example, the audio editing or the Final Cut Pro stuff, or you know that that kind of thing. And I'm even trying to to do less software development, but I still like to be able to understand this stuff. And it's interesting because in the past we've talked about Lindo. These guys, they basically make videos that, that uh, help keep you up to date uh, or pick up brand new skills with things like Final Cut Pro or hobbies or using Google Docs or, you know, the getting things done method with David Allen, all of these things and, and so much more. They've got 2,400 courses taught by industry experts. They really are amazing. Uh, but for me, you know, I'm at this point, I'm not trying to master Final Cut Pro, right? But like, I would like to know what it does and and the basics of how, and I always pick Final Cut Pro because it's so massive. You know what I mean? There's so much that can be done. Just ask Sandy. And, you know, I want to still understand these things that we're doing, these things that we're, we're working on, the things that we're building without necessarily saying, oh, I need to get into the weeds and understand every single little detail. But even having that comprehensive understanding, going through the beginner's courses on these things will teach me what can be done with a certain software application, with a certain technology. Uh, but you want to take it further than that. You want to go and become a master. You can become a master. And uh, it's such a wonderful way to to learn new skills and to to learn about all of these different technologies that exist now that it's so easy to get left behind. I mean, even things like Key, they have a, a really awesome course on Keynote. Uh, it's Keynote 6 Essential Training, right? You, you want to give a presentation? I've got to tell you, you, you can really do well to learn. Take this one. If you're just going to start with one, go through their keynote courses because eventually you'll have to give, maybe you went to XOXO and they said, fine, you go to XOXO. But when you get back that Friday, you give a little presentation about what you learned there. That's that few people told me they had to do that. And that's how they got their free ticket, right? Uh, from their boss. Well, this is a great way to do it. So you, you, you go to, you go to Linda, it's spelled L Y N D A.com, Linda.com slash back to work. And uh, you will get a uh, seven-day free trial. You can watch every single video on the whole site if you could fit it in. Uh, but that's the way they work. They have a subscription uh, package, and you get access to the entire Linda library. It's a wonderful way to learn new skills and uh, keep up to date. So go check them out, L-Y-N-D-A, lynda.com slash back to work, seven days for uh, for free. So go check them out. Thank you very much to Linda for supporting Back to Work with Merlin Mann. Dan Benjamin. Let me mention something in passing. Um, I actually, maybe not this week if we're going to talk about travel stuff, but I would at some point like to talk about what I was, uh, the ostensible topic of that talk I did in Boston. Because it's actually really germane to Linda and, and to things like it. And the thrust of it was, the, the conversation that I've been having with Sean since I think like February, something like that, about, and figuring out what this talk should be about is he's the one, he's one of the people who got me really interested in the Dreyfus model of skill acquisition, which I still barely understand, but I, I know enough to be fascinated by it. And so we were kind of banging around this idea of like when you're talking to like intermediate to advanced, you know, people in some kind of a discipline, talking about expertise seems like kind of a crazy topic. And we're trying to figure out like what it is that helps us. Uh, what we kind of got, got it down to was something like, you know, it, let's take it as read that it's hard to get good at stuff, right? It's difficult. It's difficult to master anything. It takes time. It takes a certain kind of um, focused effort. You know, there's more to it than the 10,000 hours. That's got to be 10,000 good hours at least. <laughs> but however you think of it, like it's hard to get good at stuff. And the Dreyfus brothers talked about that a lot. We were trying to like really 
narrow down what it is that helps some people stay alive in their career and find interesting new things. And the the problem that I I was trying to really get it down to <laughs> my thesis statement for my talk, which is very Yogi Berra esque, was um, something like. It's hard to know what you'll need to know in order to know what you'll need to know. And uh, the kind of a koan maybe, but I, I think that's, that's the difficulty of expertise is that I'm ranting here, aren't I? No. It, it's hard to know what you'll need to know in order to know what you'll need to know. Because, and, and so when you and I were talking about stuff like our kids and, and learning how to ride a scooter and a bike and things like that, it's, it's something where, you know, if you, if you never learn enough about what all what else is out there apart from what you currently feel like you're mastering like how do you know you're working on the right thing how do you know you're getting better at the right thing and how do you know if you're getting better at something you probably shouldn't be thinking about anymore how do you know when it's time to know other things and it came down to curiosity i think in a lot of ways like how do you how do you develop just a sense of curiosity so i think i accidentally hijacked the show but i was just gonna say in terms of linda if you have gotten to the point where you realize i think i brought it down to these three critical components uh learning to panic uh, <laughs> learning to panic, uh, <laughs> learning uh, to be learning humility, and learning curiosity, and to make those there's some kind of a, a gracious cycle to that that you can eventually work out where you go, oh my god, I think everything I know might be outdated, but I'm not sure. Exactly. Like, how do you? Because the difference between fear, anxiety, the difference between those and panic is to me. Panic is when I feel like it's too late to do anything about it, and if if you are. I mean, I got to tell you, as much as the people at IDG were certainly bummed to lose their job, I bet on some level, most of them completely understand why that is. They understand that it was no longer sustainable to be a great magazine writer because the magazine industry was going away. So like, how, it, how is it that we learn to look beyond the stuff that we're getting better at? I've really ruined this now. That's why I think something like Linda is great. Because if you've gotten to the point where you're wondering if you're learning what you need to know to learn what you need to know, you could go and you could certainly do a deep dive on something you know you need to get better at. But it's also a way of finding out if there's something that might really interest you that doesn't seem relevant right now. Because in the beginning, almost everything that ends up being super interesting starts as something that seems irrelevant. That's, that's the life cycle of an interesting idea is we start out thinking this has nothing to do with us. We are, the, we are a pre-novice, right? A novice being somebody who can follow a recipe and be able to not burn that kitchen down. Might be able to boil water based on a WikiHow article. But you're not really anybody who like understands the business yet. But when you're a pre-novice, you're somebody who doesn't even know what you need to know about something you don't even know about. You don't even know what you're you not don't even know terrible. What you don't know. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so... I know that sounds like a crazy koan, but in terms of actual things you could do to improve that situation, places like Linda can be extremely helpful. When you start learning about stuff you don't need to know about, you're actually growing. Because everything you know right now, everything you're great at right now, I'll bet you dimes to donuts, they all started as stuff you thought you never needed to know. I was that way with computers, man, 100%. I had absolutely no interest in anything having to do with computers. It was the panic of needing a place to type papers <laughs> That brought me into the Macintosh community. Right. Honestly, and I, I think that, you know, it's easy to look at a st silly statement like that and go, well, actually, you know, I'm pretty good. I've got a director-level job at this place and everything's going pretty great. But think about development languages. Think about, you know, changes in the infrastructure. Think about changes in your industry, whether that's airlines or magazines or whatever. Like, before you get to panic, how do you know that it's time to start being aware of other things that are out there? You know, that's something that I think is a problem that younger people don't appreciate quite as much as people like us who you can feel like you're getting out of touch with something now. Because of our age? Because of what? Or because of the age we live in? Be, well, 
maybe both. You know, I forget who it was that I was talking to, uh, but we were having a conversation last week about how now at at this point, oh, you know what? It was Jeffrey Zeldman um, on uh, on a big web show. We were he was saying how you know for so many years, not only was he all pretty much always hands on writing code, working with customers, you know, doing HTML, doing CSS, running Photoshop and Illustrator all day, every day. Um, but he was innovating in that space. He was treading new ground. He was coming up with solutions to problems that, you know, Internet Explorer 5, need I say more, right? Like he had to deal with with that and how do we... It's why they invented metadata for headers, I think. I think, you know, but like... (laughs) Do you remember that? Like you get everything perfect and then you figure out what to put in the header to make it not break. To make it not break. I and mean, it was changing. It, it was, was <laughs> every few weeks it would be different. And he was, he was the and guy. You'd have to have the CSS load in a certain order. Oh, that's am right. I, am I remembering that right? No, totally like, right. All of this had a weird order and you had to do so many different things to dance around these problems of the browsers. When you're sitting there in front of your Mac and you're like, everything looks really good right here. But I know. It was like that one generic CSS that was like an overflow or something you had to put in. There was like this one completely <laughs> random thing you always had to include so that IE wouldn't barf. Yep. It's so strange. And, you know, he was hands-on doing this stuff. And now he's, you know, he was he was describing on this show, he's like, yeah, you know, now I, I, I'm sitting down with a developer and designer who's working for me on this project. He's like, oh, and don't forget, you've got to clear this, you know, thing. And they just sort of looked at him like, yeah, you don't have to do that anymore. You know, he, although he still remembers uh, all of those things, what he remembers is now essentially out of date his value and his focus is on more on the business side or on the understanding of how people use these technologies or working better and more effectively with the, with the customer or the client and helping to translate that to the people who are doing the hands-on work. But, you know, there's this feeling of being, I don't want to say left behind, but if you're not hands-on writing code or using the technology every single day, it's changing so fast. We talked about planes, right? You know, when you're boarding and deboarding the plane, you look into the cockpit and you see this equipment that the pilots are using in a 738, 737, you know, MD-80. This technology is an old technology. It works perfectly well, but it's old. And I'm reminded again of this uh, by the Lego movie. Have you seen that? You seen the Lego movie? Mm-hmm. They, uh, the 1980 space uh, guy. Benny. Benny, thank you. Um, he's you. You know, he, he wants to do the one thing. Yeah, make that a he spaceship. Knows how to do, spaceship. That he's excited to do. Yeah, and <laughs> it's so funny because he's all, the whole time trying to make a spaceship in every situation. I'm not ruining the movie for anyone until I won't ruin this part. But later in the movie, he has an opportunity to build a spaceship with 1980s something technology, 1980s something Lego pieces, and it's so funny because I build Legos with my kid. Oh. Lego toys and blocks for those in Europe. And, you know, building stuff out of Legos with these new sets where you follow the instructions, you build this stuff. All the pieces are different. They're not what I built with in 1980-something. And seeing the, you know, the space guy building stuff with, like, these parts, you know, I I, I remember saying to my kid, I'm like, 
those are the pieces I know how to build with, you know, <laughs> like that's the kind of stuff we used to build. And I remember buying sets and things like that that were just designed. I was like, oh, I need those kind of wings and that little gray cone to go on the front. I don't care what out you're supposed to build with this set. I would never even look at the directions. I just start building my own stuff. Right. And, you know, that's that's kind of the way that it is now. It's like those pieces and parts that we used to just know by sense of how to build things with them. They don't even use those things anymore or you can only build that one kind of thing and now there's these other technologies and things that are out there. So that's that's kind of what I mean when I say, you know, because of our age or because the age we live in, both are changing. Yeah. Oh, God, 100%. Well, I started off this this ranty talk by, by recounting a, a story I've mentioned on here, but my career as a web guy started at this, you know, obviously around the same time as the graphical browsers came out and but but honestly from about 1995 you know really up to even about mm, the early 2000s when I was still doing web stuff as a thing you know uh, I've said this before but the whole reason I had a career is because I knew how to use a break tag it wasn't that any I was doing anything that special it's just that nobody else anybody who was a chiropractor or a uh, or a band or a uh, small business, like, first of all, I had to tell them what the web was and then explain to them why they needed a website. And they instantly had zero interest in learning about HTML. They just wanted their website to be up. But the funny part is today now, if you go, you know, CD into your bootstrap folder and type the word grunt, you have the entire, the entirety of everything I ever was good at doing mm. being done a thousand times better and more efficiently <laughs> oh, I than know. I ever did it. Like, sir, I, I had skills. I mean, I knew how to open image ready and change the states of a button that I'd be exporting. Um, I bet that's pretty hard to do automatically today. But back then, in the days before the Zeldman's Orange book, I mean, that's, that's what we did. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, everything about that job that was unique or was special and technical has been completely subsumed into like shell scripts, robots, and monkeys. Like there's no need for me. And that, I know that's, that's obvious to people listening to this, especially younger folks, but that was not that obvious at the time. And I, I also then always, I tell the story of my old neighbor who was extremely successful. My old upstairs neighbor, this woman named Susan, was terrific, um, very successful, especially during the dot-com boom, for doing identity. So you would go to Susan. She's a very talented graphical designer. You go to Susan, and she would make your come up with your logo. She'd do your letterhead. She would do, back when you had letterhead, she would do your cards, and she would do your website design. So up until the really the early to mid-2000s, you know what that meant? That meant she opened Photoshop, made a beautiful Photoshop document, and then sent that PSD with the fonts and the assets to somebody who sliced it up in something like ImageReady and put it yes, on the web. Yes. And I, I very specifically remember having a conversation with her about this at the time when I was getting really obsessed with, you know, Mark Pilgrim and, uh, and Jeffrey Zeldman and saying to her, you know, um, I've been learning a lot more about, you know, like the sites that validate and what that means and the stuff you can do with style sheets. And I was like, how much do you keep up with that stuff? She's like, I have zero interest in that. Like I do this thing, I hand it off. And that was her job. They hired her knowing that what she would give them were the assets that somebody could, you know, a production person could then put up on the web. They needed changes, you know, they made changes to that document, re-output all the sliced up, you know, all the <laughs> the one pixel invisible GIFs and stuff yep. that made that work inside of a table. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to oversimplify this story, but 
basically within a couple of years after that, she moved to LA to become a go to makeup Hollywood makeup school. <laughs> because the business went away. Like that was, I'm sure there's all kinds of changes. It was the, uh, the, uh, the economy was, was going bad. The dot-coms were going away. But it was also a matter that like, she just didn't even want to learn that stuff. At the time when it became clear that that's, maybe it wasn't clear to her. It was clear to me that that was a good thing to at least know about. To at least know what you're sending to people and asking them to do. But then how long was it? It was probably about three years before all of a sudden CSS was everywhere. You could rely on CSS. You didn't have to put font face equals inside of every table cell in it in order to make it work. But like, the thing is, how do you know to keep, keep up with that? I mean, and, and, and the way I would distinguish this, again, from people like my grandfather, from people like anybody of an earlier generation, is that you, I mean, in the case of my grandfather who shut off people's electricity for 33 years, oh. like how much did he need to know about the business? He needed to show up, not be drunk and not set things on fire and everything went pretty well and he got to retire to Florida with a uh, poodle dog. But today, not only do you not have that job security, now today, if you're doing knowledge work like we do, it's very difficult to know what you should be keeping up with, right? I right. mean, if you- forget, if you, forget actually keeping up with it, knowing which things you should be spending your time- keeping up with well go back and think about ruby and especially rails Mm -hmm. like when rails was on the ascent i mean wasn't there like a pretty large amount of pushback from real programmers oh yeah about what a toy ruby in general and rails in particular was yeah i mean you had to run a little web brick from your own terminal and then it couldn't even stay up on your own mac it was just a a mess and they thought this is a silly high-level language scripting language that nobody's ever going to do for using anything use for anything serious isn't that kind of how it was exactly how it was and I, I'd heard that. So why would you go? Well, it was fun to learn. It was fun to use. It worked with the way a lot of people's brains worked. And then what, five years later, it doesn't seem like such a toy anymore. But how do you know? How do you know what this, what flavor of the month is going to be something that's worth looking into? And the answer is it's impossible to know unless you are naturally very curious and are willing to at least keep up with those things. The distinction being, my grandfather did not need to read lots of encyclopedias and newsletters about shutting off electricity technology. Whereas today, there's an innumerable number of places that we can find a surfeit of information every day about what we might need to know about what we might need to know. And I think that's part of the challenge. Is I wouldn't call it noise, but I think it's really hard today to know when especially when it's not just just talking to another person, like how do you know what you need to know to know what you need to know? And in retrospect, it all seems easy because you know it's easier to to, to learn history than predict predict the future. So I don't know. I, I still find that such an interesting topic, cause, partly because it's something I struggle with, and I think about well, what what should I be doing next? What should I be doing different? You know, Matt Howie and I a million years ago when we were both at FM used to joke about how we reach one Firefox plugin away from not having a job anymore. <laughs> right. And I mean, how prescient was that in some ways? You know, now, I mean, you look at those sites that used to have a couple little blog ad sites. They started making a lot of money for a while. And now like the whole page is just covered with ads and stuff's just always changing. So I don't know. I'm intrigued by that. Well, I'm always a little bit, you know, there is that thing in the back of my mind that as I find, you know, really great people to help out or great people to work with or you know, there's that transition point where you're like, okay, this this person, I can hire them to come in and do this project. And I know that they're going to do things, and especially in the space of like code, that's the, the big one. They're going to do things that I won't understand. It's not that I can't understand it, 
But they'll use, you know, in the case of Ruby, they'll use a few gems that I've never seen before, or they'll use a test suite that I'm not familiar with, or, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll do something in there that will make it so that I can't just jump in and change or fix something that I'll now need to spend time learning and researching. And yes, the end result will be better because of this thing that they used. Not, you, you also need to eventually know enough about it to be able to maintain it or know who to hire to maintain it, right? right. Oh, we're using XYZ and either I need to learn XYZ to fix it or change it, but or I'm going to have to hire someone, like you're saying, to who can, who can come in and do XYZ. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's the part where you kind of say, gosh, it's no longer really worth it for me because I have – my value is greater over here. And we've talked about that with my lawn mowing situation where – you know, I used to spend three-ish hours on a weekend day in the sun mowing, edging, trimming up the yard. And instead of that, I could pay a company, and I, I don't remember how much it was at the time, but it was, you know, probably $60, $70 to do that. And I had to make this decision of, is it worth it for me to spend, call it 100 bucks even, is it worth it for me to spend $100 to not have to spend this three or four hours on the, and it really did take that long because, you know, you've got to mow, you've got to edge, you get to swap out everything, you get to clean it up, you get to bag the grass, you get to do all that, and you get to take a shower because you're, you're disgusting after you've been out in the Florida heat for four hours. All of this time, is it, is it worth $100? Can I spend $100 to not have to do that? It wasn't a matter mm-hmm. of do I enjoy the outdoors and do I like it? I was miserable with allergies at the time. Yes, I will spend $100 to get that time back. I will pay $100 for four hours of my weekend time so that I don't have to do this anymore. And then I can pull up on a Thursday afternoon after work and look at how good this yard looks. Look at how good all this stuff looks. And I didn't do anything to make it happen other than write out a check to do it. A, a team of guys – are going to show up and do in 15 or 20 minutes what would have taken me hours to do, and I have that time back. If you can afford to do it, is it worth it to do it? And that's almost the way that it is for me now. I can spend three or four hours writing code, uh, or I can pay someone to do that, and if I can turn around and use that time more effectively, if I can use the three hours on the weekend to now be with my kids – um, that's more valuable to me than the $100. Can I do something else that's more value in, 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 at my work? I feel like this is a problem that people talk about, but maybe we don't talk about it enough. Is like, how should you be spending your time? Because your time is the one thing you can't, no matter how successful you are, no matter how much money you have, you can't make more time. You can't really, but you can kind of buy more time. Uh, or you can decide how you should allocate your time more effectively within the context of work. You know, does well, it? Yeah, well, totally. I mean, you basically ran bootstrap for your lawn. You paid a little bit. <laughs> right. I and mean, if were... you still want to have a little garden or it, if you enjoy mowing your lawn and that's a time that you look forward to listening to podcasts and hanging out or whatever, that's a different kind of thing. But no, I mean, that, that's part of being in a, in a techno in a technological age is understanding that, you know, it's not as much fun to fix your car as it used to be because there are so many special tools and so many difficult things about fixing a car today. So, I mean, it's one thing to get an MG and tinker around with it because you enjoy it, but I wouldn't want to be depending on my own skills to keep a one-year-old car, you know, in maintenance. And you're right. I mean, you do have to make those trade-offs, but 
I mean, the, the, the challenge in some ways is that trade-off of, again, it's a time and attention issue. I think it's kind of what you're saying. It can be a money issue, but it's also a time and attention issue where it's like, how, you know, how do you know how much time and attention to give to stuff that you might need to know about? Now, some people will cede an extraordinary amount of time and attention to something like email because of the off chance there could be something very valuable in there. So, you know, they're looking at email a lot, they're sending email, they're responding to email, or they're just thinking about email a lot. And that's, that's something that's, that some people accept and that works out okay. The, the trouble, the, I think the challenging part is knowing like when you, when you have enough to decide what the next thing to know about is, you know, it's, I don't know, it's that kind of curiosity. I, I brought it down to this one point, which is really reductive, but it works for me. I mean, I think you can certainly learn stuff from lots of RSS feeds and O'Reilly books or whatever the kids read nowadays. But my, my trick is something that I think will, could make you a smarter person, could make you a more curious person, and will probably make you a better conversationalist, which is to ask people what they're excited about. Whenever I meet somebody, um, I always feel like it's, it's never hurts to open by saying, what are you excited about right now? Like, what's interesting to you? Like, let's not talk about our cloud scores. Let's talk about what you're excited about. And that, there are very few people that don't want to tell you what they're excited about. Yeah. And when you hear the enthusiasm of somebody who's excited about something interesting, it doesn't really matter what it is. Like, now you're kind of curious about it, too. And maybe it's a way of going like, oh, you know, maybe I, I don't really know, need to know about this reality show in a lot of detail, but it's always interesting to hear that from somebody. But I feel like if you get in the habit of asking people that, what are you excited about right now? You, you, you tend to discover, certainly you keep up with your friends and find out what's obsessing and interesting them. But that's going to people you trust and asking that question is, is the best. Again, another reason why it's great to go to a conference like the one you went to yeah. is to meet so many people who are doing interesting things. But like, I also just on a side note, I love the idea that that opens up the conversation to whatever you want to talk about. You know, we don't have to talk right. about the weather and sports ball. Yeah. Like if you're excited about sports ball, that's great. But if you're really excited about restoring antique muskets, bring it. Like I would love to hear that. <laughs> that, you know, you bring up a really interesting point and that is it. It seemed to me, and I don't know if it was, if I should go back all the way 10 years ago, but for sure 10, 10 years ago, five years ago, whenever I would talk to people and say like, you know, what, like you get in conversation, you meet somebody, what do you do for a living? Oh, I do this. What, you know, are you working on anything? You have a hobby or whatever. You know, people were always like, oh, we're, you know, starting a business that does X, Y, Z. And now it's really shifted in that instead of people's in their spare time, they're building a business. In their spare time now, they've figured out something that they're excited about, something that they like, like a hobby. And they're trying to figure out a way to make money doing what we 10 years ago would have called a hobby. There are people who are drawing web comics who are like, I do a web comic and I just want to turn that into my full-time thing. Five years ago, 10 years ago, if you had said to someone, I'm, you know, I do a web comic. Well, what do you do for a living? No, 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 I, I do a web comic for a living. Maybe that's a bad example because that actually has been around for a while. But you know what I'm saying? People mm -hmm. are taking these things that are hobby-like that they're super passionate and super good at and they're doing them and they're finding ways, whether it's with like a Patreon or a Kickstarter or, you know, d donations or ads on their website or whatever, you know, it, it reminds me of the days of Jason Kotke and John Gruber uh, and Deuce doing a blog as a thing. And now that's not that weird. Podcasting still a little weird, but, you know, as far as like the thing you do, but more and more at, at like at, at the con at XOXO people, I'd say, hey, what do you do? What do you like? Where are you from? 
And there were so many answers you never in a million years would have guessed, you know, as far as like what people are doing and how they're making a living and not just getting by, but like, this is their job. They do it. They love it. It's the thing that we would have thought was a hobby, but they're pursuing it. They're doing it and they love it. And there, there are now vehicles for them to make money with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all of those kinds of things that seem so exotic, um, I don't know. It's it's kind of strange. Not strange. What's the word? Hmm. I'm not sure what I want to say here. It's just, I feel like um, it's one of the byproducts of being able to filter so much information um, in, in our world is that we, we can end up becoming super duper experts or super duper advocates about a certain, like one kind of thing. And I think there's an unconscious thing. I know I do. And I suspect other people do, which is you start out saying, I want to learn, mm, let's, let's shoot a fish in a barrel. I'm really interested in learning what's going on with politics. And so hmm. you start reading stuff about politics and pretty soon you might find yourself being more persuaded by one side than the other. And then when you find, you, you might find yourself very un- unconsciously gravitating toward a certain point of view that interests you and appeals to you and makes you know and seems true to you. And so it's not unusual at all to say, well, that seems like a more valid way to look at this. And I'm gonna spend more time looking at this side over here. And then you spend a little more time on this side over here. And then you start going, Oh, well, this person seems to really articulate this thing that I feel strongly, and pretty soon you're retweeting them and you're learning. And I don't think it's unusual at all to wake up a month later and find yourself a partisan because hmm. that's what made sense to you. And now you got some skin in the game. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. But at that point, if you're not careful, it's easy to, I think it's not difficult to, to wake, wake up one day and realize that you've accidentally moved off a very big trail into a more and more specific kind of trail where you're now filtering to get mostly the information that, you know, confirmation bias, right? You're mostly looking for the kinds of things that agree with what you think. Or maybe on the other hand, you're looking for incredibly outrageous things that are so stupid and wrong that they must, that shows how right you are. And I think the trick in some ways is to, is to, I'm not saying you should all, we should all be generalists all the time, mm-hmm. but it's also interesting to remember what got you interested in that in the first place and to allow yourself to occasionally drift back toward that road where you could find other, other things out there. Um, that's to me, that's the nature of curiosity is like now, Oh, I've learned a lot about this thing. I wonder what other people think about that. And that's where talking to actual people can, I think, have a, have a really, really big impact. And, you know, and finding out things like, you know, talking to somebody like a, like a Rich Stevens, like somebody who has this yeah. wealth of information about doing this as a thing and as a business. And, you know, the stuff that you do in your, in your little hut, trying to figure out this one way to do this thing can be vastly improved just by, just by like a 15 minute conversation with somebody to help you understand you might not be even solving the right problem in a good way, in a, in a, in a, in a gracious way. But, you know, but that's, that's, that's the challenge is it's, it's so easy for us to disappear into our own world of preferences that like, it's, it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a doom and gloom guy, but I, I, I find myself doing that sometimes as a, as a cord cutter. When I find myself in a hotel room watching cable TV Hmm. and I, I feel like the trial Famadorians from slaughterhouse five where i'm like you humans <laughs> how do you humans even do anything like you're you're strapped to a railroad track with this big tube staring at this one point in space it seems completely bananas to me but now <laughs> i feel like i really understand more about the world by being thrust into the world of commercials on cable tv i don't know i don't know um i but i think that curiosity thing like i'm gonna bang on that i'll bang that to death just because it's something i think is so important for staying alive 
and staying lively is to always find something new that you didn't know about. And as far as the humility angle of that, always being open to the idea that there's something you might be wrong about in an interesting way, which is something I'm not great at, but something I, I really strive for. And for the people who have a long live career and keep evolving, I mean, you look at somebody like... Well, like Kate Bush or David Bowie or somebody, like somebody who's able to like come up with something new and you go, oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Well, they thought of that because they were open to a lot of stuff that you thought was way too bananas to even think about. Yeah, these little, these things that we, I almost said little ideas, little ideas are very often big enough, you know, they're very often that thing that the person who's passionate about them can do and turn into uh, an income or, uh, or, or something that's really fulfilling for them that they get rewarded for. And, you know, you bring, you bring up Rich Stevens. He's sort of like the guy that everyone kind of points to is like, look, you know, he did it. And, uh, it, it really is, you know, there was this great, we mentioned Justin Hall in the beginning. Um, I don't know when the, the videos, uh, are, are going to be coming out of this, but his is a funny talk because at the beginning of it, he says, I was able to turn my website, which in 19, you know, 1997 was getting, you know, 25,000 unique visitors a day. It might have been more than that, but that was, I think, the number he said. That's a lot. Into, and then he, next slide, 250 visitors a day. That's what he gets now. <laughs> and he's and you too can have this kind of success you know it it was such an opposite of like John Gruber's talk which is you know showing the growth of daring fireball he was talking about how links.net like i used to wake up in the in the morning and get to work and drink coffee and go to links.net to see what was happening there was no uh there was no google there weren't uh, internet news sites there was what justin found that he linked to on his page last night mm-hmm. you know and so much has changed and these little things that we start can really become something uh, really, really big or at the very least big enough, you know, big enough for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the only only way to find out about those things is to have this background state yeah. of in- interest in what you don't know about. What which you I don't think is know. Not a, but that's not a normal way to walk around in life. I mean, you seem like a, like a simp to walk around going like, I wonder what I don't know today. You know, you, you <laughs> unless you're anything. unless you're a kid, right? Oh, I don't know. They're not so great at that either. No. Well, you know, I already know everything I need to know uh, about yeah, well. multiplication. Did you want to tell me about something else you like? The last thing I'll tell you about today is uh, a very cool site that you know. It's interesting because the company Citrix has been around the block, and now they have come up with something that for me is is super super useful. A lot of people, when they're sharing files with each other, there, there are lots of ways to do this. Most of them involve jumping through a whole lot of hoops. But a lot of the time, it's not, you're not just sharing like an animated uh, GIF file. You're, you you want to share something important. Let's talk about something important. Put that coffee down. And, you know, a lot of the time, files that you want to share, they're big files. And not just that, they're important files. You want to keep private. You want to... Uh, to keep them secure and these kinds of things. This is where ShareFile really, really stands out. It's ShareFile.com. And here's the thing. When you're, when you're doing business emails, you know, you're including an attachment, right? A document, a spreadsheet, contract, something signed, something important. Uh, you know, 
you run into things like file size restrictions. You get bounce backs. There's security issues all the time. You know, your email can be compromised. Well, what's wonderful about a share file is it lets you send your attachments as secure links. So you can send a file pretty much any size with the highest level of security. And then you can access these files from anywhere, laptop, tablet, smartphone. It integrates pretty much in any size business, any level of business. If you're not using ShareFile yet, you can go there and sign up today. Uh, I have a special 30-day free trial. You go to sharefile.com. You click on the microphone. They put a little microphone because we talk into, into microphones here. You click on the little microphone at the top of the page and the code you're going to want to enter, they do it a little different. They do BTW instead of B2W. BTW, that's the code. Okay. And that will give you 30-day, they normally don't do free trials like this. So you go there, click the mic, BTW, 30-day free trial, and uh, start sending some uh, some secure stuff because it's it's really, really great. And by the way, people uh, have, have asked me what the security is. It's AES 256-bit encryption. SSAE 16 audited data centers. So if that means nothing to you, then just know that it's really secure. If that means something to you, then you should be happy because that's the highest level of security you're going to get. It's a lot of bits, Dan. It's a lot of bits, a lot of bytes. Even for a layman like me, I know that's a lot of bits. (laughs) Sharefile.com, BTW. Check them out. Our thanks to Citrix and Sharefile.com for supporting 5 by 5 and back to work. Right on, man. Yeah. Breaking news. I just received uh, an email about fives.com. Uh, somebody offering organic SEO and web designing. Ooh. According to this, he can make my website popular in the web market. He can increase my online sales. <laughs> Three, fix all technical errors of my site. All of them? Uh, it's, it says all. I mean, I don't think you could say that in an email unless it were true. Is this the Kung Fu uh, gripe? No, no, this is fives. Increase your online visitors using suitable key phrases and quality backlinks. And five, Google will consider as a best site. <laughs> I can already consider it a best site. This is tremendous. 100% Google white hat technique. A real, it's, a real, it's a real solution for my business, yeah. says Bob Aurora. Thank you, Bob. Oh, that's just a testimonial. I think that's that song by The Who. Bob Aurora. Hi, I'm Bob Aurora. Do you have a do you have a site with lists? Would you like to have Google consider US best website? Bob. Curiosity. He's the business development manager. Oh, oh the- he concludes. He concludes. Kindly ignore the email, comma. If doesn't fit your requirement, comma, this is a bulk mailer, <laughs> period. Any, any inconvenience caused will be highly regretted. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, bet, I don't feel inconvenienced, Bob. I mean, this, is, this is, could change my game. There's no setup fees, no contract. This is tremendous. Bob Aurora is not a sponsor of the show, but mm. I think we could really bring him, bring him into the uh, fold. I try and do that. You know, a lot of the time, whenever I get an email from somebody who's trying to pitch me on something, I'll reply as if they had uh, written requesting a sponsorship on a show. <laughs> and I'll say, I would be happy to tell you more information about our shows and give you more information about our shows and, and the rates. And sometimes I'll attach the rate card. And uh, it never, never has turned into a, into a sponsorship. I usually just write back and say, I can smell your underwear through the phone. <laughs> Do you really? 
How's everything way up there in... Uh, is this? Should we start the show, do you think? or Item six, 100% quality and Google Penguin updated service. This is just words. These aren't even sentences. I don't know what this means. Mm-hmm. Oh, I get also costumer satiation guarantee. <laughs> wait, wait. I want you to see this. Here, I'm just in the robot. Send it. Okay. I get 100% costumer satiation guarantee. <laughs> well, it is spelled correctly. Well, I mean, he's so busy fixing all my technical errors, you're going to occasionally get some uh, costumer wow. satiation guarantee. Wow. 100% costumer satiation. That, that is crazy That stuff. sounds like that spa across the street. Oh, are they still around? Couldn't say. They brought that site down, so I can't really follow Mickey okay. anymore. Yeah. Okay, let's button this up. <laughs> I love you. I love you too, Merlin Man. Yeah.